0: Welcome to Revolution Podcast, a place where we discuss the Bible, culture, faith, and why it matters for you. I'm Quinn, and this is my co-host Chase. And if you're looking for a podcast that explores the revolutionizing power of Christ in your life,
1: then this is the show for you. Hello, everybody. It is Revolution Podcast, back in studio, ready to go. Quinn, I just have to say I'm sorry. For what? I'm sorry, Quinn. I just feel like I need to apologize right now. What do you need to apologize for? I thought you said you wanted to do an episode on apologetics. So I just thought we'd start off right away. Oh. So I'm sorry. Oh, well, you're forgiven? Yes. No, guys. Apologetics. We are, okay, so we're diving into a series on apologetics, but apologetics does not mean apologizing. Um, We're not apologizing for God's existence. That's not what apologetics (laughs) is. Um, Apologetics is actually uh, defending the faith rationally. It comes from the Greek word apologia. Won't dive into that. I'm sure it's boring for most people. But apologetics is basically this rational defense of the faith. Peter, I think Peter, tells us to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you believe in. Mm -hmm. And there are different ways to do that. Uh, But one of them is to use uh, this gift of logic that God has given us and to defend him rationally. Because belief in God, contrary to what a lot of people say, is quite rational. So, Quinn, why do we talk about apologetics? Apologetics? Why does it matter? Hmm. Yeah. I haven't thought about this.
0: Hmm. No, actually I have. Yeah, a yeah. Second. Um, <laughs> I see all your notes. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. All right. Um, yeah. So with apologetics, we want to, something that's very important is to be able to give an answer to people mm-hmm. um, when they ask questions about God or they don't believe in God, they have these questions. Um, and so we want to provide good answers to questions that people have. Um, Apologetics also strengthens your faith. As you you get to learn more about the existence of God, which is what we're gonna be diving into today, Mm -hmm. um, you get to see who God is and how complex his creation is and how incredible he really is. Um, Yeah, and it strengthens your faith. And as you dive into it, you're able to defend your faith to others. Really good. yeah. And as Chase said, always, as Peter says, always be ready to give an answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so many people, they, they have these questions, but they don't want to answer They don't, they don't want to take the time to answer the questions. So true. Right. So, true. so, so many people, they're just like, why does God exist? Or how can we believe in a good God that allows suffering to happen? Mm-hmm. And they ask these questions, but they don't, they good don't. questions. Yeah. Good they're questions. big questions, but they don't, Want to take the time to answer? Yeah, and so I think kind of like, hmm, how do I want to explain this? Like, so for me, I I like disc golfing. You do. You're yeah. very
1: good at it too. Well, thank you. Much better than me, but that's that doesn't say much for your skill. So
0: well, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> it was one day after work. I was going in to play some disc golf, and there's a big forest. Yeah, and I, yeah, I went into, I w- played some holes, and then I. Starting to get dark out, so I I was gonna go in the forest, but I didn't want to, yes. um, because I was scared of a
1: bear that a a bear was gonna come up and maul. Fair enough. We were just in Second Kings. You got to be careful about Ooh. those stuff. Yeah. let continue.
0: Um, and so I, I think that like I wanted to to go into the forest and play the rest of the holes, the next twelve ho- holes or whatever it was, yeah. but I didn't because I was I was scared and I didn't want to put the effort. And that's kind of mm. like this question where, like apologetics and a lot of people, they mm. they want to um
1: they want to know the answer yeah
0: but they don't want to put the time in to
1: uh find the answer yeah also springing off of that illustration which is great um it can be it can be scary asking these questions Mm -hmm. too right like you talk about like being scared of that darkness um part of like like apologetics is basically the exploration of answers for all those hard questions that you've always asked about the bible and about god right Mm -hmm. and those can be super scary like asking the question how do we know god exists because if you don't have an answer to that but you've always believed god exists that can be scary Mm -hmm. for sure um but I, I think um, the best thing that you can do, and we've talked about this on past episodes, is to confront those things. So not mm-hmm. be scared of asking those questions. Yeah. So that's good.
0: Yeah. And I think another thing with apologetics is, yeah, you can study these answers. But if someone brings up a question that you haven't researched mm-hmm. or thought about or whatever it is, it's it's also okay to be like, hey, I, I actually don't know the answer. Oh, yeah. And and oh, yeah. Chase has talked about that as well in yeah. some of our episodes. It's like, yeah. it's okay to say I don't know and yeah. just explore that with them um absolutely and yeah so now i, I kind of want to point the question to you chase sure um how do we know god exists because that's what we're talking about and
1: yeah. what does this question mean why do we ask it and yeah. can you kind of break it down for us a little bit yeah the the question of um how do we know god exists it's a question uh humanity has been asking its entire existence um and it's very interesting uh, you study the history of western civilization uh which uh a large part started in Europe and is uh, now moved to America and to Canada. Um, the belief in God and specifically the belief in the Christian God underpins so much of, of um yeah. Of Western civilization. You look at the um, American constitution, you look at uh, the Canadian constitution, the Canadian charter of rights and freedoms, and it uses very, very biblical language, right? It's a, like the reason mm-hmm. America believes in individual rights is because like Thomas Jefferson wrote, we believe God has given men unalienable rights, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, it's a very like religious document. Um, and so that is underpinning the entire structure of our society. And um, in recent years in the last, um, Probably the last uh, century or so. um, This um, not it's it's there's as long as long as there's been religious people, there has been atheists, right? Like like doubting God's existence is nothing new, but hating the existence of God is a new and scary phenomenon that's coming in. And so our culture um, is turning more and more away from this belief in God's existence. And, and it's, and in so many ways it's degrading and breaking down our society. And we can get more into that later. Mm-hmm. we will see that, especially when we dive into the moral argument. Um, so that's one reason is that um, because uh, a belief in God underpins so much society, it's like um, imagine um, a, a temple, right? it's got these big pillars that's holding the mm-hmm. whole thing up. If you, pull out those pillars, the whole thing collapses, right? right? And belief in God is one of the foundations of our society. And so if we pull that out, what's going to happen? That's a scary thought. So, so, And that doesn't mean if God doesn't exist, we should pull out that foundation, but right. we shouldn't pull it out before asking the question very, very seriously. So yeah. it's important to ask it. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. Another thing uh, I'll just say quickly is that a lot of people think that um, with all the science coming about out about uh, evolution, they think that that describes the state of the world perfectly. And unfortunately for everybody, science can never explain the world um, because science can only investigate what is inside the world. And questions about religion fundamentally are asking what is outside of the world, right? And right. so you can't use a process that looks inside the world to explore the outside of the world. You can make some inferences, but you can't really know. And so this isn't necessarily a scientific question. And so. Um, rather than just running with, uh, this scientific theory and saying, well, I guess God doesn't exist because this explains things pretty well. Um, again, let's think through this question carefully, mm-hmm. um, cause the way you answer uh, this question, like does God exist will change your life, right? If you, no matter which way you answer, your life will be very, very different from person who answers opposite you. Um, and so as we go into this episode, um, the reason we want to provide some arguments um, for the existence of God, answering this question, how do we know God exists? The reason we want to do that is because we don't want people to just have to assume God exists. We don't want them just to take it off of our word. Um, There's this thing called the burden of proof, and that's lying on us. We're making a claim about the universe that isn't initially obvious just by looking at it, right? And so we want to provide our evidence. You can imagine like a a trial taking place in a courtroom, right? Each side is going to give their evidence, Mm -hmm. and so this is us providing our evidence. And we're going to have two more episodes in this apologetic series um, asking um, how could a good loving God allow suffering Mm -hmm. and why should we trust the Bible? And you can imagine those like the cross examinations of the lawyer from the other side, let's say the atheistic side coming in and asking our witnesses questions. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for now, this is us providing our evidence for the case. And so our goal in this episode is going to be, take this question, how do we know God exists? And we're going to provide three positive arguments for the existence of God. And one thing to clarify is that when when we say God in a lot of this, we're gonna be we're gonna be working through this. But God um, doesn't necessarily, and this can make some people mad, and I don't know why. It's a bit silly. But say, when we say God, we don't necessarily mean the God of the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. We don't necessarily mean the Christian God. Do me and Quinn both believe in the Christian God? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but if if you're talking with an atheist. Um, you don't necessarily take them straight there, right? There is a progression to certain things. Um, and even in your own, in, in, uh, if you're asking these questions for yourselves, For I know for my journey, it was very much, a, I don't believe in God. Okay, I believe a God could exist. Okay, I believe a God does exist. Oh, it's probably the God of the Bible. Oh, it is the God of the Bible. But there is that progression, and so with this quite broad question, how do we know God exists? Because it's a broad question, there are going to be broad answers, right? Mm-hmm. And so when we say God, we don't necessarily mean the Christian God, but we mean a divine, supernatural being who is spaceless, timeless, immaterial, all-powerful. And by the end, we'll see that it's almost certainly a personal being yeah. as well. And mm-hmm. we just give that being the name God. You could call it um, like, like flippity jack for all I care, wow. but we're all talking about God, Mm -hmm. right? That's the word we're using. So, that's kind of a good frame for the episode. What do you think? Anything you want to add? No, I I think that's really
0: good. I think we can, yeah, we can dive into our first argument. And so, what we're going to be working through today is three arguments um, about the existence of God. And so, just kind of give you a little framework for today. We're going to be looking at the Kalam cosmological argument. Don't get me excited like that. Big word. um,
1: Cosmological.
0: But... It'll it'll make sense as we work through it. I so, promise you. Yeah, yeah. The teleological argument. Mm. Um, when I first saw that, I didn't see the O, so I just thought like,
1: oh, tele, like the television. No. And I I didn't the television get the argument. <laughs> <laughs> just so God, If you flip the channel, you'll see him, guys. It works out real well. Don't worry. Just get, you have to get the connection right. <laughs> Move those antennas. Okay, there you go. There he is. I go. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So it took
0: me a little bit, but we we got there. Um, That's awesome. And then we're gonna look at the moral argument. Mm. Um, yeah. Which is really good. We got C.S. Lewis has some really good stuff to say oh, on that. Um, but yeah, I guess there's kind of be some things that we're going to be working through with yeah. the cosmological and the teleological argument, and so there's kind of this process of taking a look at the arguments, yeah. and so yeah. we have something called a syllogism, mm. and
1: I'm going to let Chase explain. I'll that. just I'll try to explain it very very quickly. Uh, a syllogism. Basically, um, in the field of logic, you can make statements, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're being rational, which is what we talked about at the beginning, we're trying to be rational, um, you have to take certain steps um, and prove, you can't just jump to a conclusion. You have to take steps to get yep. there, right? And so a syllogism is this uh, three-statement Collection basically, it's a collection of three statements, each one building off of the last to prove a conclusion that you have. Right. Um, And so, a a very easy example. Um, I'll give you. I'll I'll do it like this. So, statement one of this syllogism. Statement one. This isn't the argument. This is just an example. Statement one. um, All things that are able to think exist. Right. Anything that is able to think must exist. Okay. That's statement one. Statement two. I can think. Right. Three. Therefore, I exist. Got it. Right? So that's basically what you're doing is you're proving the conclusion that you exist. Right? And that's very, very, very basic. Mm -hmm. Um, But one, all things that are able to think exist. Two, I think, three, therefore, I exist. Right. Yeah. And
0: and so, like, the first the first two steps are
1: providing evidence so yeah. that the third one is just, we've provided all the evidence that the third one is true. Yes, it's a necessary step. But that's why usually in a syllogism, the third statement will start with the word therefore. It's right, because of what has come before, this is. Is what is the conclusion? Okay, right, and so uh, the cosm the Kalam cosmological argument and the teleological argument are both structured as syllogisms, which makes it very it, it's very easy to organize it that way. So mm-hmm. that that makes sense. Yeah, got our minds wrapped around uh, syllogisms. Yeah, I yeah. I think we
0: yeah it makes a lot more sense now. Awesome. Um, yeah, and so kind of the first three we got three points as yep. chase talked about and so the first
1: one chase do you want to do you want to break it down yeah okay so let's go through the so this is called the kalam cosmological argument for the existence of god um, so in the syllogism the first statement is that everything that begins to exist has a cause break that down for me Boom. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. Um, something cannot come from nothing. Um, you could look at a table, a table didn't just appear, right? It has a cause. There's a reason it is there. Um, even the, um, when you toss up a stone and it falls, the falling of the stone has a cause. There's a reason it's happening. Um, you Quinn have a cause. I have a cause. Um, and what's interesting is that um, because everything that begins to exist has a cause, um, you have a cause. But if your cause also began to exist, then it has a cause, and if that cause began to exist, it has a cause, and so on back. Imagine, uh, imagine with me like a line of dominoes, right? Um, if you see a line of dominoes knocked over, and you look at the very last one, you wouldn't say, "Well, that just happened," right? You know that. The domino before it knocked it over and the domino before it knocked it over and so on across the whole chain, right? So life essentially um, is a big um, chain of events that'll happen and everything has a cause and then causes something else as well. Does that make sense? Okay. Anybody, like if you think about it for two seconds, um, you know that stuff doesn't just come from nothing. Everything is caused by something else. So that's the first premise in this argument. We got that? I understand. All right. So, first one, everything that begins to exist has a cause. Okay. Step two, the universe began to exist. Okay. All right. So, The universe began to exist. Um, If you believe in the Bible, uh, read Genesis 1 verse 1, very first verse, and you're good. God created the heavens and the earth. Created means they were not there before. Okay, the universe began to exist. Um, If you're not so keen to believe what the Bible says, and that's all right, Um, extra biblically, this is actually quite interesting. Um, The entire scientific community Um, is in agreement that the universe is not eternal, right? And if it's not eternal, it has a starting point. Um, And the reason for that is because um, thanks to Galileo and some other people, we've discovered that the universe is expanding, right? Like the universe is always um, getting bigger. Right. And so, The universe, so this is a quote from the National Academy of Sciences. Uh, They say that the universe came into being from a single, unimaginably hot and dense point, and it didn't occur in an already existing space. Right. right, so you don't have to be a religious person to think that the universe began to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that, s- like space, and not not in the sense of like the the black cloud overhanging Earth, but in the sense of like actual like the dimension of space, the dimension of time, those things are not eternal they must have had a starting point because if the universe uh, i'll break it down quickly if the universe is expanding it must have one point been at this very very small point right and so we can actually date that fairly well and so everybody believes that the universe at one point did not exist but then somehow um it did burst into being, right? right? And that's why you you get the idea of the Big Bang because everybody imagines it as this explosion. Um, so, but anyways, the point is the universe began to exist. Religious or not, everybody believes that the universe did begin to mm-hmm. exist. Um, did we got that okay yeah i think that's pretty straightforward all right so let's review uh one everything that begins to exist has a cause Mm -hmm. uh, because something cannot come from nothing okay second the universe began to exist and this is step three therefore the universe has a cause so that follows necessarily from the first two if the first two statements are true the third one must be and if so and i'll say quickly the universe in the sense of all time space and matter right so Everything, not just our galaxy, but all possible galaxies. The universe um, has a cause. And if the universe, which is the universe is time and space and matter, that means that whatever caused the universe must be spaceless, must be timeless, and must be immaterial. It has
0: to be out of those
1: three because those were. because those three things are within the universe themselves. Right. Right. And so something within the universe couldn't have created it, right? Because the universe didn't exist yet
0: yeah yeah okay um so the universe be, uh, begins to exist yeah has a cause yeah um which then the universe so
1: we, we'd call that cause god right that's the name we yeah. give it yeah
0: cause of god and he created it at a certain point in time
1: yes yeah the universe and isn't eternal therefore it has a cause which we believe to be god Yes. Oh, no. So uh, no. Uh, uh, basically, so let's walk through this again. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. And so, yes. You. So yes. You and I would believe that cause is the God of the Bible. Right. You do not have to believe in the Bible to agree yes. with this statement. Okay. though. right? Yeah, yeah. You, you can. Th- this isn't proving the God of the Bible. This is just proving that there is a timeless, spaceless, immaterial thing being out there beyond the universe that created it. Got um, it. And again, that that doesn't prove the God of any particular religion, but it does at least get us off of atheism and say, okay, there, there must be something. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Um, Push back to that argument though. Yeah. I think there's,
0: I mean, everybody always has things to say against an argument. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, that can just be part of our skepticism. Yeah. Um, and so... Yeah, I guess some of the things that we looked at this week was, wouldn't God need a cause? Mm. Um, and, and you kind of already explained this, um, but yeah, why don't, why don't you jump into that?
1: Yeah, sure. So, so often people, when you explain this argument to them, they'll say, well, if everything, that, if everything has to have a cause, wouldn't God need a cause too? Um, and that sounds almost right. And that unfortunately stumps a lot of people. But if you look back at our first statement, we say that everything that begins to exist has a cause. Has a cause? Sorry, and so people ask, wouldn't God need a need a cause? No, because God did not begin to exist. Um, And again, that goes back to the principle that the universe includes time, space, and matter. And so this thing that which we're calling God must be timeless, spaceless, and immaterial. And logic necessitates that it must be eternal and uncreated. Um, So would God need a cause? No, not according to this argument. Right. Um, I guess the next one. Why couldn't the universe have caused itself? Or Mm. why can't the universe have been its own cause? Right. Um, Again, uh, it sounds like a good objection up front, um, but unfortunately nothing can be its own cause um, to be a cause you must exert force and to exert force you must exist and to exist again you must have a cause everything that begins to exist has a cause so i mean the universe quinn couldn't have created itself any more than you could have created yourself right because right. you didn't exist before your creation mm-hmm. so okay yeah. I, I, that
0: makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and then I guess the third one is why couldn't a past universe have caused our present universe? Yeah. Why even try bringing God into yeah, this? Yeah.
1: So, so this is often comes from people who are very, usually at this point, anybody who's bringing that up is very against the idea of God. Richard Dawkins is one of those people. Um, and yeah, uh, one of the, common theories uh, held by materialist scientists nowadays is that there's a multiverse um, and that there's a past universe. And as it was dying, um, we talked about how the um, scientists believe the universe came from a single unimaginably hot and dense point. Kind of the theory is that as a past universe was dying, um, that condensed matter, time, and space existed. And then the energy of the first universe dying set off the explosion necessary to make the big bang. And now we find the universe. Why do we need God? Right. We can just have that. Um, And the problem with that is that you're just pushing this problem further into the past, right? You're not solving it um, because that past universe, also would need a cause, right? So then you're at step one again. You're back at step one, right? And if you just, so let's say, well, maybe the past universe had a past universe that did it. Well, then that past universe would need a past universe that did that. And you just end up with this um, infinitely regressive um, state of infinite past universes, which is just logically impossible um, because there could not have been an infinity of past universes Because we've already necessitated that a universe in the sense of it being spaceless, uh, sorry, having space, time and matter within it, anything that is made up within the dimensions of space, time and matter must have begun to exist. And so Mm -hmm. people might say, well, God is infinitely regressive as well because you're saying he's eternal. And I say, yes, but only because he is spaceless, timeless and immaterial. Right? right, A universe is necessarily made up of space, time, and matter, and so it must have a cause. But this thing we're calling God, because it is spaceless, timeless, and immaterial, would not need a cause. And so, yes, God is eternal, but we can't say universes are eternal because those are two different dimensions that we're playing with. Does um, so that make sense? Yeah, I think I got it. Nice. Sure. Um, yeah, I think yeah. I think we covered that um Yeah, so just to recap that one quickly. The syllogism very simple. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. 2. The universe began to exist. 3. Therefore the universe has a cause. And if anybody comes up with those three objections, you can just yeah, the I I like maybe they'll have a like more questions beyond that, but just, you know, stay on your toes, uh use your minds and again, like we said, it's okay to say, "Oh, I don't know," mm-hmm. um but I'll get back to you. So,
0: yeah. Yeah totally i i really like that and i think we're going to we're going to move on to our our next argument which nice. we're calling the teleological argument well we're not calling it that <laughs> right obviously not <laughs> sorry it's called the teleological argument and we're explaining we would it. never come up with a name like that no i would come up with
1: teleological yeah like no no <laughs> the television uh. argument no so teleological <laughs> let, let's just quickly explain tele t- comes from the greek word uh teleos which means uh the end of things uh and not as in like the finality but is in um like uh a purpose right end is in the in the sense of things having a purpose um, okay and that's because this argument has to do with design but yeah,
0: yeah yeah so yeah i guess we're looking at within this argument we're looking at the design of creation mm-hmm. um and so we're going to be looking at oh a bunch of things oh yeah um just looking at my show notes being yeah. like oh man <laughs> we got much. a lot of stuff yeah um and yeah. yeah so we got we got our syllogism and yeah chase you want to take us through point one, point two, point
1: three? absolutely yeah so uh just so everybody knows quickly on that uh there is you know we're, we're getting into some um, uh a little bit denser territory with some of these, and we'll throw links in the, if any of this like interests you, or if you're like, oh, I wish I remembered something, but I didn't quite. Um, we'll put links in the show notes to different resources to look into this stuff yourself. So we'll have resources for the Kalam cosmological argument. We'll have resources for all the stuff we're talking about in the teleological argument, different things like that. So. If you're worried about like, oh, I like this, but I don't know how to remember it, just go to show notes. Links are in there for you. Um, But the teleological argument isn't always designed as a syllogism. Often you won't find it designed as a syllogism. Um, I just find syllogisms very useful. So we just made one for this. Um, And then we can follow off the pattern we've already made with the cosmological one. But So syllogism, first statement, um, that which is designed has a designer. Pretty straightforward, I think. Yeah, kind Um, of like the
0: cosmological like yeah um yeah if anything begins to exist it
1: needs a cause yeah this is related uh similar not the same um because causes can be impersonal and unintentional right right? like i can accidentally trip and fall into you and then you get a bruise and that bru— i was the cause of that bruise but i didn't mean to right whereas uh you take a computer and a computer obviously has a cause but the cause wasn't an accident right so right. the difference between cause and design is that design is intentional cause um could be impersonal right okay um and so and again that's why i stress in the cosmological argument we're not talking about the christian god quite yet well, that would be moving a bit too fast mm-hmm. uh, but with this teleological argument we're really looking at um is this God a designer God? Is he mm-hmm. a creator God? So this first statement, that which is designed has a designer. If you look at a car, obviously somebody built that. You come home and there's you smell um, fresh cookies and there's a hot tray on the counter. Those didn't just appear out of thin air. Somebody uh, designed those. And again, like a, a, a computer. Computers don't assemble themselves. Yeah. So that which is designed has a designer.
0: Yeah. Totally. I think that that's pretty straightforward. And so the next point we want to look at is the universe is designed and we got, oh, this
1: we is got the big one. one, two, yeah. we got four, four, four things to help prove this, because this is because with syllogisms, often the second step is one you really need to prove. And this one's pretty big um, because anybody can see where we're going with this argument. But right. one, that which is designed has a designer Two, the universe is designed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do you want to break that down for us? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so Richard Dawkins, uh, if you don't know who he is, Richard Dawkins is a prominent uh, atheist. Um, he's, he's actually quite a brilliant scientist. He's done a lot of good work uh, in the areas of biology, um, but he, he's much more uh, popularly known for his uh, polemics against Christianity specifically. And so a point he'll often make uh, against the teleological argument is that— um, Not everything that appears to be designed is designed, right? And he'll point to certain things in nature that prove this. And he's quite right. Um, You look at diamonds and snowflakes, for example. Um, Not each diamond um, necessarily is um, handcrafted, right? Right. You can pull raw diamonds out of the earth that look like they should be on display in a museum. And that's just because natural processes... um, cause them to look designed by the diamonds are formed into precise geometric shapes and they're absolutely beautiful. Mm -hmm. Same thing is true of snowflakes. Um, so I I will absolutely acknowledge with Richard Dawkins that beautiful things, um, in nature come into being, um, apart from specific intentional intellectual design. Right. Um, however, that does not include everything just because some things appear to be designed, but aren't, doesn't mean that everything, that appears to be designed isn't designed. Some things that appear to be designed are designed. Um, and so that's kind of what we're looking at um, with these four things. And so the, the most obvious example of this is DNA, mm-hmm. which Richard Dawkins should know um, as a biologist. And it's so funny. I was reading his book, Outgrowing God, not long ago. And he, uh, he, he himself describes DNA as functioning almost exactly like a computer code. That's how complicated wow. DNA is, right? Like human minds striving to create computer code. If you've tried to learn like how computer code actually works, it is complicated. Um mm-hmm. and long, intricate computer code um, that runs long, complicated programs, which is what a living uh being is, is basically a computer program. Yeah. Um, that's so difficult to write. And you need mm-hmm. to spend your whole life learning how to do that. Um, and DNA functions essentially the same way, and we're much more complicated than any computer code people have made made totally um, and yet nobody would think a computer code wrote itself right yeah. Com- like computer codes um hold information within them right? DNA is the same way. It holds information inside of it. And mm-hmm. information can only come from an intelligent mind, right? Information yeah. doesn't just appear. Information must be given and interpreted by intelligent beings. And so um, the, the the living species interprets the DNA, the DNA interprets itself, but it could not have written itself as well. So mm-hmm. DNA is a huge um, thing that points to the fact that the universe must have a designer um, because just as computer code needs a writer dna must have an author as well Um, sweet yeah that's one that's one Um, all right let's move along yeah do you want want me to do the other ones too or Mm. yeah i think you can yeah okay (laughs) at least irreducible complexity irreducible complexity is one of my favorite phrases um I'll give you a quick quote. A system that is irreducibly complex is one in which precise components work jointly to perform the basic function of the system. So that means that if any part of that system were to be absent or removed, the system would cease to function. Um, Therefore, any step to simplify an irreducibly complex system would result in a simply non-functional system the reason that is important is because the theory of natural selection in evolutionary biology is that um, evolutionists agree that complicated things don't just appear out of nowhere but they do think complicated things can come from slightly less complicated things and those slightly less complicated things can come from even slightly less complicated things and basically if you give um, the universe 13 billion years you can start with something super simple and then it increasingly becomes more complex until we have the system systems we arrive at today irreducible complexity says no if you make certain systems as like a smidgen less complicated then they will not work right, right. And so you can't have just assembled simple pieces one by one into a complex system the entire system needed to appear immediately or else it wouldn't function right so that's just mm-hmm. a stab at the heart of uh, a lot of evolutionary biology um you can see this um in, and this is i i, I don't blame um Uh, Charles Darwin um, for this because I don't think he even I don't think they even knew cells existed back then but cells which um, anybody who studied biology a cell is the most basic unit of life Um, Mm -hmm. cells are irreducibly complex right we're all made up of cells but like a there are single cell organisms that are they're little tiny creatures and that's life right that's the most basic unit of life but even that the most basic unit of life that we know is irreducibly complex a cell you take away any part of a cell and it would not function right mm-hmm. and, and what's really interesting about cells is that even those the things that make up cells which are called organelles those things that make up this irreducibly complex cell those things are irreducibly complex systems too right and so it just keeps getting more and more ironic um for uh, a lot of biologists trying to say that the universe wasn't designed because you have these irreducibly complex systems at the most basic level of life, let alone like animals, plants, humans, right? Like we're made up of irreducibly complex systems, but just to bring it down to the most basic level of life, even that is irreducibly complex. And so irreducible right. complexity is a big, big problem for trying to say the universe just happened, right. it wasn't designed.
0: Yeah. And so kind of To reiterate that, it's kind of saying that, like, irreducibly complex things means that if, if, like, you had one thing and it grew a little bit bigger and it uh, evolutionized in a sense, if it did that, because things are irreducibly complex, meaning that, uh, if they changed over time, they wouldn't
1: work because it would have a different function? Uh, close, it, in the opposite direction, right? If they got simpler. So we're imagining back into the past, oh, right. right? So um, a uh, like a complex system couldn't, um, so uh, you can take the um, example of a cell, right? And it's, let's say a cell has five different parts, right? And it needs all five parts to function. Mm-hmm. Um, evolutionary biology would say um, a cell slowly came together by having one part, then two parts, then three parts, then four parts, and five parts. But you need all five parts for it to function. So it couldn't have been one at a time. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think that's really good. Yeah. Um, I think we can kind of look at the next, the fine-tuning of the universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can move that real quick. Uh, fine-tuning of the universe basically is just the idea that the universe is, des- it, at least it appears, designed um, exactly to sustain life. Um And so we see this in three things, uh, three different uh, forces that help control Mm -hmm. the universe. So one is the gravitational constant, um, which is the force of gravity in the universe. Um, If the gravitational constant was any weaker, planets and stars couldn't form. And if it was any stronger, stars would burn up too quickly for life to exist. Third one is the electromagnetic force constant. Uh, This is the force that holds atoms together. We're all made up of atoms, right? Um, And if this force were any stronger or weaker, the chemical bonds that make up the universe would not. function, right? They'd be unstable. We'd have unstable chemical bonds everywhere. Um, Third one, the cosmological constant, um, which essentially um, controls, we talked about how the universe is expanding. The cosmological constant is this balance um, that controls how quickly the universe expands. Mm -hmm. Um, If the um, cosmological constant was any more powerful, um, the universe would just Fly apart, and if it was any more negative, the universe would collapse in upon itself. And it is such a precise um, mm-hmm. balance that must be had in this force. It, it's um, one part in ten to the hundred twentieth power, which is a ridiculously small number. And, and it's like such, and again, that's why we use the word "fine tuned" mm-hmm. because it was des- it, it was designed so precisely to hold the universe together the way we see it um, that like one of these forces happening by themselves ridiculously unlikely but all three of them so that life can exist the way we know it that that there is no chance of that happening in our universe and yet is that is the way we find it and so we must conclude that the universe is fine-tuned last this is the fourth thing the origin of life um when i walked into my biology 11 class in high school the first thing my teacher told me was that life can only come from life and so then i asked her where the first life came from and she said chemicals and dust and i was like that that doesn't that does not make sense um (laughs) So, yeah, the one of the fundamental laws of biology is that life can only come from life. And so, uh, really yeah, and this is this is essentially gets into the last point. Um only by believing in God can you make sense of the origin of life. Let's review the syllogism. Um that which is designed has a designer. The universe is designed. Therefore, the universe has a designer. Mhm. Yeah, I think that's really
0: good. Um and so yeah, so, so far we've looked at the cosmological argument and um, looked at kind of how we've looked at there is a creator. Yeah. Um, and now we look at the teleological argument, which kind of says there is a designer yeah. to the to the earth. And now we, we kind of want to look at the moral argument. And this one, this one can be a little, I don't know how to put it. It's my favorite
1: one. I like okay, his, it's, this it's this, Chase's favorite one. Yeah, this is the one that convinced me that God was real um, back in the day. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. I think there's there's a lot to say about it, and I think there's a lot more we could say yes, about it. Absolutely, um, we'll try to keep it brief. But this is this is kind of where we're gonna try and go with it. And I think, yeah, I think we have some really good stuff on on this. And we we kind of looked at um, C.S. Lewis. He's got a book called *Mere Christianity*, yeah. where kind of the first like mini book that he puts in it. Yeah, he takes a look at the moral law and argument, mm-hmm. and so we we're kind of. We we looked at this over the past little while and kind of oh,
1: yeah. that's I so see us reading mere Christianity is what convinced me that God was real. Um, I didn't believe in God before that. Um, and C.S. Lewis is the one who convinced me. And so I've read it a few times now and read some other stuff in The Moral Argument too, but I think his is the best I've ever read on it. So it's very, very, very good um, if you want to go check it out for yourself. And we're, we do follow a little bit of some of his arguments and um, some other stuff that we've picked up uh, along the years as well. But yeah, huge, huge. Um, he, he's a huge influence in my life and my thinking. So mm-hmm. that obviously is going to bleed through a lot here yeah should we dive into it yeah yeah do you want to start her off yeah um Man. So the premise of the moral argument is that everybody lives as though there is a moral code that we all must follow. Um, what do I mean by that? Um, we all know that it's wrong to murder. We know that it's wrong to lie and we know that it's wrong to steal. And we know that it is good to speak kindly, uh, to treat others as we'd like to be treated. And we know that it's good to care for orphans and to care for widows. Um, that's the first premise that, um, not you might not conceptualize it in the way of a moral code, but when I say those things like murder is wrong and it's good to be nice to people, we can all agree on that. Um yeah. the second piece there is that um though there is this moral code that we're all kind of aware of, um, we do not always follow it or act that way. And in fact, we often do not. Mm-hmm. Did you wanna break in there? No. No. Okay, awesome. <laughs> um so, so, and what's interesting about these two facts and, you know, people can push back because C.S. Lewis spends a bit of time, like, um, really proving that, um, everybody lives as though according to a moral code. I, th- I think that's the simplest way we can put it though. Um, but what's interesting about this is that, um, we find that there is a way we do act, which is often against this mm-hmm. moral code. We do things we know are wrong. Um, but beyond that, beyond just the facts of what we do, this is what I do day to day. Um, Beyond what we just do, we find there is a way that we ought to act. Right? There's what there's uh, the way we do act, and there's a way that we ought to act. And so, in that, there is something more than just us. There is something more than just the facts. Something more about us beyond mere matter and fact. There is a real force. Power, Lewis calls it a moral law, acting Mm -hmm. upon us, calling us to act not as we do. It says don't act the way you do, act as you ought to. Don't act just um, the way things are, act in the way things should be. So we find very, very quickly that there is something beyond just ourselves that is Mm -hmm. putting this pressure onto us. Um, But there's an objection that can break in here at this point in the argument. I don't know if you want to articulate that for us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so something that we've kind of looked at is that we an objection, I guess Chase said, mm-hmm. is that people a lot of people think that we have different moral systems. Yes. Um. Therefore, there is no universal moral law, mm-hmm. and this is kind of interesting because, um, like not everybody agrees on every exact moral choice. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Um, but everybody will still agree that something like
1: war is bad the nazis yeah. were evil the nazis the nazis were evil people let's start there that's that's a good place to agree <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and um but I think, can I jump in? Yeah, what, yeah what, totally, what's I lost what, my thought. No, you're good. What, what's important with the Nazi, with us saying the Nazis are evil is that it's, they're not just evil because we think so. Right. The Nazis were evil because they should have known they were evil, right? There is an actual standard that everybody knows they should be measured mm-hmm. by. If we just say, well, you know, we think these people are doing wrong, but they think they're doing good, so we can all think whatever, then the Nazis were fine because the, the, Hitler thought he was doing the right thing. So you can't say he was wrong. But we all know that objectively what the Nazis did was evil. And Mm -hmm. so there is this code of conduct um, that all people have to live by to be decent. Do not murder. Do not cheat. Do not betray. Like a soldier in war is never applauded by his own country for defecting to the enemy. Right. You might as well try to find a country where two plus two equals five. It doesn't exist. This moral law is, as C.S. Lewis calls it, as tough as nails. Right. It is firm and unchanging as um, the laws of mathematics. So. The objection that different people have different moral systems, either in different countries or at different times. Um, like you can see where people do it, but then again, like... You think about it for a little bit and it falls apart pretty quick um, because we all know that though there may be subjective pieces to morality, because we don't know all of morality instinctually, which as Christians is why we would say we need the Bible, um, but we do generally know morality and we do know right from wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why we can say without hesitation, we can say that the Nazis were evil as easily as we can say that the sky is blue. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So from that, uh, what's left for us to decide is where does this objective moral law come from? What is its source? There's two kind of big theories about this. Obviously, Quinn, you and I tend toward the theory that says there is a creator, um, a a timeless, spaceless, immaterial being that we call God um, that has given us this morality. But there's another major theory out there. Um, Do you want to articulate that or then we can break it down? Um, Basically, I I can take it. This one is, uh, it's pretty funny. Um, People will often say morality uh, is simply the way our instincts evolved. Um, right. People will say, well, we care about other people and we think it's good to care for other people because as evolved animals, we have this herd instinct for the rest mm-hmm. in our species. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, because caring for others, others would help the species survive. And so now that we're highly developed, we've kind of in imbued that instinct as a moral code. And they would say, that's where morality comes from. I think Nietzsche is in that camp and he was smart, but he was crazy. Um, so, That's the theory. And again, it can sound good, Um, but uh, we would just ask, think about it because there there are some problems with this theory. Um, One of them, CS Lewis uses this example in his book. Uh, Let's say you see a drowning man. Um, You might feel two instincts right away. One, instinct by which you wish to save him, which you could call this herd instinct and mm-hmm. another instinct by which by which you wish to run the other way because mm-hmm. you don't want to drown. And that's the instinct for self-preservation. Yeah. But there is a third thing at play in this scenario and it is dampening the one instinct and pushing you towards the other, right? Okay. So, um, yeah.
0: So, it's what you're saying is it's kind of like like the, in, you know, in TV shows, how you got the angel and the devil on your shoulder yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's those,
1: in a sense, those two forces. Uh, but, a little bit. Yeah. But the, whichever one is louder. No. So that so this, is, this is what I was going to break in. You could think that it is which one like gets the better of you, which one is louder, but that's not it. Um each instinct is quite powerful there is but there is a third uh, this is why we often call our conscious a voice right and that's why in the story of Pinocchio the conscious is Jiminy Cricket because a, a conscious is so visceral that it often feels like a real person but that isn't your instincts right your instinct says I should save him. your instinct says I should run away but there is something else that says, this instinct is better you should follow it CS Lewis says our instincts are like the keys of the piano. Um, the moral law is the sheet music right um, the moral the, the sheet music cannot itself be a key and the keys cannot be sheet music um, mm-hmm. but this law does tell us which keys to play right yeah
0: okay yeah.
1: Um, so that's one problem with it. Uh, another pro- so the first problem is that uh, we see right away that the moral law, which is not an instinct, which is a huge problem in this theory. Another thing is that the primary instinct that we observe in nature is preservation of the self, not the species. Yes, animals have instincts to preserve their species, but primarily they want to survive in and of themselves. Um, and and we see like animals have like horrifying instincts, very immoral instincts which they follow. Animals kill each other. Um, if our morality were derived from animalistic instincts, like like I mean, anybody who knows how animals reproduce know that it isn't consensual, right? That's the way animals will do it. Um, and so and the reason they do that is because they do have this. Um, instinct to preserve themselves further into the future. And there is that uh, element of the preservation of the species as well. But we've, that is, we call that immoral when humans um, act in that way, right? That is immoral, evil behavior. Um, but that is also a very animalistic instinct. Mm-hmm. And so morality cannot be just our instincts because, and this is the third problem, we often praise people who control their instincts, right? We find it virtuous when people are able to suppress certain part of themselves to practice temperance. It is a good thing to control your animalistic instinct for anger, to attack other people, to be greedy and jealous. We think it is good to repress those instincts. Um, And so our instincts can't be the basis of our morality. Um, And so we turn to the other major theory, uh, which says that there's a higher being outside the material world who has created this moral order, this moral law, and who has placed within us a profound sense of it and has placed within us a desire to align ourselves and the world to it. And that's where we land with the moral argument,
0: yeah, yeah, I think man that
1: was that was a lot, yeah so if so just to track the arguments we've done, the Kalam cosmological cosmological argument uh in the syllogism in that says that everything that begins to exist has a cause and the universe um began to exist therefore the universe has a cause and that just basically tells us that tells us that there is something spaceless timeless and immaterial that caused the universe doesn't tell us very much about this thing right we turn to the teleological argument which says that um that which is designed has a designer and the universe was designed therefore the universe has the designer that gives us a bit of a hint of what this being is it is creative artistic powerful um and interested in the universe in some way that we don't know precisely how and we come to the moral argument and we look within ourselves and we realize that that this being is exerting force into our own lives and that it is very interested Mm -hmm. in the way we act it wants us to act in a good way and it it isn't soft about that right Mm -hmm. like the moral law is unshakable um yeah so so this being um uh, whatever it is um caused the universe is spaceless timeless immaterial eternal it is artistic um has an eye for um art um a beautiful designer and um, it is very interested in morality. And this being we would call God. So how do we know God exists? Because God caused the universe to exist, God designed the universe, and God gave us objective morality by which we live. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what's what's nice is that uh, in the two other episodes we're gonna do for apologetics, we're gonna turn to um, looking at how um, a God that we call good could allow evil to exist. Um, and then finally, we're going to, we're going to say, you know, there's lots of religions that are going to try to tell you who this God is, and we're going to make the case as to why you should believe what the Bible has to say Mm -hmm. about this being we call God. But Quinn, why don't you wrap us up?
0: We know this was a heavy episode. It was a, it might've been tough to listen to, tough to get through, but I think there's there's some really good stuff in this and some really good evidence for God. But I just want to remind you that if you have any questions, mm-hmm. please, please ask them. Yeah. You can DM us on Instagram, e- email us or whatever. Guys, we're open to lots and lots of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I think we need to take away from this is something that, that we've alluded to over the episode is that there is a God. yeah, uh, And the God that we believe in is real. Yeah. He's present. And something that we didn't really get to in this episode... Um, but I think that I kind of want to mention is that, um, yeah, we have lots of evidence for God. But one thing that we also have is a personal relationship with Him. Yeah. We get to know who He is, His character, His love, and His mercies. And God is God of the past, the present, the future, and of forever. And we get to talk with Him and be in relationship with Him. Yeah. And for me, that's amazing evidence for God. hmm and I know that for myself to be true. And so if you see this argument and you're still on the fence, text us. Mm-hmm. We, we'd, we'd love to talk with you some more. We want to help you in this journey and this time of possible doubt for some of you guys. Yeah. But if you guys see this and you're like, man, this is a great explanation for God. I want to dive deeper. I encourage you to do so. Mm-hmm. Jump in and read your Bible. Spend some time in prayer and look for God in everything and praising him for all he's done in your life. Yeah. And so we hope that today in this episode of Revolution Podcast, that you enjoyed it. And next week, as Chase said, we're going to be continuing our series on apologetics. And yeah, just looking at how, asking the question of how can a good and loving God allow evil to exist? This is a doozy of a question. We know that. Um, And we know that there's so much to unpack here. And we we want to show you that God is a God of love and of
1: mercy and of kindness and that he has a plan for everything. Chase, do you want to add anything? No, I think that's good, man. Um, Like if if you know somebody who's struggling or somebody who you think would find this episode helpful, just send it to them. Um, And if they don't like it, that's cool too. But yeah, we love questions, love to engage. If you have pushback, um, further questions, holes you found in this argument, uh, we'd love to hear it and just dialogue with you guys. So um, yeah, if you are, like and leave a review, Um, get the word out and yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Sounds good. All right, sweet.